Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for joining us. Movember is a community of over 5 million men and women, Mo Bros and Mo Sisters all around the world who are passionate about changing the face of men's health. And each week on this show, we speak with someone from that community. Uh, you can listen to former episodes at MovemberRadio.com, find us in SoundCloud, on the podcast app of your choice, or, you know, wherever good podcasts are heard. This week... Our guest is a remarkable human being. Niobli Amar is the program manager at Prevention Institute in Oakland, California. He works on the uh, Promoting Mental Health and Wellbeing team. The Prevention Institute was established 17 years ago. Now, Niobli works with the Movember Foundation team on a groundbreaking new initiative called Making Connections, which helps develop and implement actionable, scalable community-level prevention plans to improve mental health for men and boys in the U.S. I got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. He's an extraordinarily charismatic human being, and I'm thrilled that I can bring you this conversation with Niobli Arma. Hello. Good afternoon. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, good. It's uh, it's. Let me tell you, man. It's it's warm here in Brisbane. Hey, but I, I I could use some warmth myself. Oh, uh, where are you? I'm in Oakland. Oakland. Oh, yeah. So you're in Oakland, which is on the on the other side of the bridge from San Francisco. What what brings you there? Uh, so this is where Prevention Institute is housed, and so uh, I don't live here, but I'm I'm here often, uh, just checking in and, and making sure. The ship is being steered in the right direction. And could you do, do us a favor and, and just kind of explain what Prevention Institute is all about? Absolutely. And so Prevention Institute uh, is, is a group that has been focused on primary prevention for more than 17 years now. Uh, and so that work is rooted in making sure that when we think about our healthcare system, when we think about communities, that we're thinking about it from a preventative perspective in terms of how do we prevent injuries prevent community violence and with the work we're doing now because of Movember, uh, prevent, you know, disparate mental health outcomes. And what you mentioned there is uh, the preventative is is a very big focus. It seems obvious, but what are some of the benefits when it comes to trying to convince policymakers to take a preventative stance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's two big areas. And so the first is what they usually like to hear, which we don't like to lead with, but it's, it's the truth, is that cost savings. 
you know, if you think about what you pay to treat someone in the emergency room, it's a hundred times more what it would take if you would treat them before they even got there. Uh, and then from cost savings, you know, the other way that we like to think about it is, uh, is the community capacity conversation about, you know, that uh, communities will be more vibrant, more likely to, you know, achieve the quality of life things that everybody wants, regardless of, you know, what they believe in. A preventive focus really allows folks to embody that. When it comes to these sorts of uh, community-wide plans, I mean, ultimately, you're, you're talking about healthcare at scale. I mean, a lot of healthcare happens one-on-one, a primary right. care practitioner and a patient. How are you able to scale this kind of stuff? So in two ways. And so I think one of the things that we're learning now through making connections is that very few folks have invested the time in trying to scale community initiatives for the very reason that, that you mentioned. You know, it's, it seems insurmountable to one degree. What we found is that communities already have the capacity and with a little bit of tools, a little bit of, you know, guidance that they can scale things on their own. And so, I mean, the Make a Connection, Connections initiative is really, really early. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, we have all those findings already. But what I can say is that we've been extremely surprised in, in how far communities have gotten without any help. And so uh, we think that through this initiative, they'll be able to go even much further. And we'll be able to take that back to policymakers and say, hey, look at what per- the opportunities prevention provides. And what, what are some of the things that these communities are doing that you found to be effective already? Absolutely. And so uh, some of the grants are with um, local health departments. And so one of the things that we're finding is that local health departments, because of the initiative, are re-engaged in the way that they work with community. And so the, the, the traditional approach in a local health department is to take a, a program to a community and say, hey, we developed this. You all should implement it. Uh, what we're doing with the health departments who are part of this initiative is having them do the opposite of the process, going to the community saying, what are the assets? And so, you know, our outcomes that we're trying to work on through this initiative is, is men's mental health and well-being. And so there's tons of assets with men in community, but they haven't always rose into the surface. So if you think about a minority community, the indigenous community, there's richness in, this, in these communities that we're teaching health departments how to use that as the core of their initiatives. Um, you know, a, another example, you know, I, I'm thinking about our site in Hawaii, where if, if I were to get them on the phone right now and they were to tell you what's the most important part of their initiative, they would tell you it's to listen to community. And again, that's something that may sound trivial or you may say, well, duh, but they have an entire exercise and expertise in really how to listen to community and respond to them so that if you're focused on mental health and well-being, you know, you'll ask questions like, how many youth are at the table? You know, are the programs at the local nonprofits and social service sectors, do they actually meet the needs and expectations of what the youth say are priority? And so a, a lot of it, you know, I think individuals would hear it um, and say, well, those are obvious things. But when you look at the way our, our system is designed in the United States, we're not doing the obvious things. And, and making connections is, is empowering both us and the community to kind of get to those things much quicker and more effectively. 
Mate, I've been talking to you for seven minutes right now. You are clearly a very intelligent human being. Oh. <laughs> what is it that drew you personally to this kind of – I mean, a lot of this work is very frustrating, and I'm sure a lot of this work, the results won't happen for five, ten, maybe more years. What is it that drew you towards this kind of work? Oh, man, that, that's a tough one. Um, what I'll tell you is that um, early, early on, I've decided that I have to do work that adds value. Um, you know, there's a wide range of opportunities of things that you can do with your life. And for me, the checks box is, is it adding value? And so for me, I get motivated. You know, it can be a local health department, a community nonprofit. But knowing that we can add value in community that really has changed outcomes, like that really does it for me. I mean, I wish I could say something like, you know, I was inspired when I was a kid or, you know, there's a a story. But to me, it's all about adding value. And if I can do that through my work, then why not? Well, I I ask this question because where you are in Oakland, you're not very far from some of the brightest, most incredible minds in the world over there in uh, San Francisco (laughs) who seem to be quite focused on making the next Candy Crush. Right. (laughs) You you know, and I kind of wonder sometimes if some of these guys and girls put their mind to enriching their community, wouldn't that enrich us all? I'm just wondering. No, I I agree. And and I think folks like me and you have to find out how do we get their attention uh, (laughs) and, and let them know that, you know, if they spent one day a week adding value to the world, it will make our job much easier. Would make their world a lot nicer to spend all their money in. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> From your work that you've done in uh, the minority communities, in the indigenous communities, what, what do you see uh, about men's use of health services available to them and, and the barriers of getting men to, you know, go and look after themselves? I, I think the number one thing is stigma. There, there is still this traditional thought that, that, um, that there's these these imposed notions of what masculinity is. And so all the myths are true here just as they are in other communities. You know, that men don't cry and men shouldn't go to the doctor. And we're really trying to challenge those notions head on. Uh, and what we found, to your going back to your question, is that there's there's things in indigenous communities where men have always kind of taken uh, taken responsibility. Uh, for the community. And so in, in, in our sites that are touched on that, we want to actually uplift those practices and figure out how do we take some of those learnings and infuse them to combat the, the traditional notion of masculinity today, which I think is more grit, uh, more warrior driven um, than, than what it is for thousands of years. Men were caregivers and protectors. And so how do we find, you know, a fine two way of, of, learning from these communities, applying it to what's applicable today, and then moving forward together. You mentioned two interesting words there, but one particularly, grit. (laughs) (laughs) Why is grit important? Uh, So my definition of grit is your uh, ability to keep going when others would quit. Uh, And so the positive aspect of that is that it makes you want to persevere. The negative aspect of that when you compare it to masculinity is that some individuals don't know when to quit or they would call it, you know, unmanly to concede. Uh, when, when we think that if, if you're doing a set of practices that are unhealthy to you as an individual and your community, then maybe you should look at it, look at a different route. And so, you know, for some of our sites have, have addressed mas- masculinity as the mental health 
challenge that they want to change in their community. Uh, and so in doing so, on the front end of that work, we have to figure out what is the stigma, you know, what is the traditional lens that they approach that with, and then how do we take two steps back and going back to our, our prevention philosophy and think about re-envisioning what masculinity could mean in your community. And we think positive notions of masculinity can mean that hum- communities are able to heal themselves from all the things that are playing in them. You know, when, when you think about what's happening with unemployment, with youth violence, some of that has to do with a, a, a false sense of what masculinity is. And we think that we can change that through our community work. So, I mean, this seems to be quite an international conversation in uh, the westernised world now that so much of middle-class labour jobs and, you know, kind of honest day's work for an honest day's pay doesn't really kind of exist anymore. A lot of men are like, well, what do I do now? What's your vision for a model of masculinity that, that you'd like to see? So my vision for masculinity, it, it would kind of have three components. And so one is that, very simple, it's self-defined. Uh, you know, that, that any man, young man, any boy, any father has the ability within their own worldview to create a definition as long as it's a healthy one. Um, to me, the, 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 the second point uh, about masculinity is that um, however you're situated, um, you can take the negatives around you and turn them into positives. And, and, and that can be how you display your masculinity. So, you know, if life throws you a set of circumstances that are unfortunate, that you'll find the opportunity uh, in those. You know, if, if you're in a situation where your community has low access, then you'll become a change agent to make sure that through advocacy, your community has access. So that whatever the circumstances that you're dealt with, you know, your masculinity can allow you to be empowered to actually change those. Um, and then I guess the last, you know, way that I, I would think about masculinity is, is you know, the, the social and emotional piece. And that, you know, self-healing is important. Community healing is important. Uh, awareness is important. You know, being aware of, of, of how things in your life affect you as an individual. But then we always want to make sure that we make the connection between you not seeing yourself separate it from the collective of things that happen in your community. Uh, so that, that's jumbled together, but I, I hope it made sense in the way I presented it. No, 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 it, it, it does because certainly here in, like today, it's an interesting day in, in Brisbane uh, where I'm talking to you from. The uh, parliament here has just implemented um, lockout laws which um, have worked to great effect. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment. 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. For cutting down alcohol-related horrible violence in uh, Sydney and other cities in the country, but have also, you know, hurt part of the city economically, and they implemented it today. But a lot of that, you know, conversation about what drives that violence is this idea of what what is masculine, what can make a man feel like a man. And, right. you know, a lot of guys think, well, fine, that I guess violence is it in some ways. Mm, interesting. It's you a bit know. tough. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it is. It's a, yeah, it's, 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 and so a lot of people are kind of freaked out about it here. But, you know, we've, as, a, as a nation, we've got to have a long, hard look at ourselves about, about that, you know, about what we expect of the men in our society and, and what role, I guess, to be honest, alcohol plays in our society. But um, certainly the masculinity thing is, is a big part of that. I didn't want to ask, um, so as, you know, not to forget that we uh, live in a world where uh, half of the population has a different set of chromosomes, what... Uh, is the role of, 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 of mothers and partners and, and daughters in, uh, in, in this vision of, of masculinity that you have. Absolutely. And so it goes back to what I was saying about the community. And so understanding that the decisions that communities make don't just affect men and that, you know, our work is, is not just about men, but women are also at the table. And so what cues can we send or what messages can we send uh, you know, to mothers and, and daughters in the community to know that not only do they have a role in the work, but then also in some communities, they're, they're the traditional leader. Uh, and so it would be really, really hard to address notions of masculinity without conversations with women in the community about what are the priorities for that particular uh, uh, area. And so we, we think it's important, um, you know, and, and we acknowledge that the work that we're going to do um, is going to involve women uh, because men don't live in a world, as you said, isolated uh, by themselves. It'd be or- very boring, and it would smell terrible. Let's be honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it'd be pretty. It'd be pretty ordinary. Uh, the the program that you're working on is called Making Connections. What's the What's the important you think uh, that social connectivity and just just conversation has in all this? Oh, we think it's extremely important. You know, earlier I talked a little bit about our Hawaii site and their belief in listening. And, you know, uh, in October, when we kicked off um, this initiative, well, the the 16 sites all came to Oakland for convening. And and outside of the, the benchmarks for the initiative and the work plans, the most meaningful thing that everyone walked away with was connection to someone else in another part of the country that was going to do this work with them. And so social connectedness is, I think, essential and primary uh, because what it allows folks to do, especially the folks, you know, laboring in this work, it allows them to know that they're not laboring alone. And so if you, if you think about um, the, the suicide crisis that the United States is facing, particularly with youth, uh, some of that is due in part 
to feelings of social isolation. And so how does conversation and social connectedness then become, uh, again, a, a, a preventative measure to make sure that we can decrease suicides? Um, and, and unfortunately, too many people feel that they are battling with things alone. And one of the messages we want to send through this work is that, that they're not alone. Um, and, and this goes back to your question about, you know, what can mothers do and, and what's the role of women? And, and I think that conversation piece with your loved one, whether it's a family member or a friend, you know, those don't just have to happen within gender groups. They can also happen across gender groups. How, how can we now that every, well, anyone listening to this is, is on uh, some sort of internet connected device. I mean, that's how we, this show gets out. In this world where we are so connected to each other, how is social isolation a problem? You know what? So here's my personal theory. So I can't quote this, or you can't quote me on this, and we can't cite research on this, but I think that the hyper-connectedness through social media has decreased authentic engagement. And so if I can tweet you, um, if I can you know, hashtag you or tag you in a photo, I'm probably less likely after this interview to pick up and call you on the phone. Yeah, I may follow you on Twitter. I may, you know, send you a digital whatever, but I'm less likely to pick up the phone and say, hey, Asher, that was a great interview. How do we stay connected? Um, most people don't do that anymore because the social media has then become a proxy for authentic engagement. That's false. Uh, and I'm not saying that you have to pick up the phone. You can you can write a letter. Uh, you know, you can send, send a card. Uh, but I think that we have to find a way to... How do we, you know, continue to build authentic relationships in spite of what we've lost with some social media? Not that social media is a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, but I think it has affected authentic relationships. I, I, I would, I'd have to agree with you there. I'd have to agree with you. I've certainly been pulled up by my fiance um, to the point where I, um, when I'm home on weekends, I turn my phone off. Mm. Uh, so I can be with um, her and the kid because yeah. otherwise I'll, even though I want to be there, I'll be picking that thing up and just going doopy doopy doo, Reddit, yeah. Twitter, whatever, yeah. and not be in the room. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what? I think it's scary. So every now and then when I'm like on a train or at a restaurant, I'll look around and it's almost frightening how many people are face down in their phone. Uh I, I don't know what, what implications that has. Maybe it's just a sign of the times. But sometimes it frightens me that, you know, I mean, if you're on a, on a, on a train in New York, uh, I, you know, I'm from the South. And so I grew up in Texas. And so I get a kick out of, like, smiling at people and making them have <laughs> eye contact with me because it's so anti-New York train behavior. But I, but I think it's fun. So I still do it. One of my, one of my good mates is, uh, is from Texas, and I, I, I picked up a... Yes, sir, and yes, sir, at the end of every sentence. For, <laughs> yep. And down in Australia, people think I'm so weird. <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you, when I was using that stuff in LA, things got done. People, yeah. people like it. Yeah, they love it. <laughs> people like it. What is it, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here in this interview because I, I raced as hard as I could on my bicycle to get back in time. Uh, and I'm sitting here having a chat with you just just bathing in this endorphin rush, which, you know, if I don't ride my bike every day, I can't think straight and I kind of get overtaken with uh, 
kind of ruminations and things like that. What what role do you well, what emphasis do you put on physical activity in the programs you do? Uh, and so it, it's not something that all of our sites are leading with, uh, but it is something that we've talked about because the interesting thing about mental well-being is that it doesn't occur in isolation of every other thing you're doing. And so, you know, physical activity is one means, you know, to be mentally happy uh, or, or well. Uh, and so for some of the sites, you know, uh, it, it's, 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 it may be something so simple as a walking club. Um, these are not things that are at the core of their initiative, but there are components that we think are important, especially just from the preventive perspective. You know, all of these things are interconnected, you know, physical health with behavioral health, uh, with social emotional well-being. All of those are intertwined. And what about you? What do you do to uh, keep your physical activity up? And so I, I wouldn't say I'm a cyclist. A couple times a year, I do about a 150-mile bike ride uh, for charity. Pretty good. <laughs> on, on, a, on a regular basis, though, I would have to say that something that I've committed to in the past year and that I'm currently working on is intensive daily stretching. Um, I may not ever make it to a yoga class, but when I hop out of the shower, I get on the floor and do 20 minutes of intense stretching. And that's how currently I'm meeting my physical activity requirements. Mate, I will tell you, uh, my dad is a rheumatologist, so he looks after people with arthritic conditions. And he just, I just said, well, you know, what can you do? He says, look, as long as you move every joint through every range of motion every day, you'll be fine. Oh, wow. So, I so love the music to my ear. Yeah, mate, that's, you know, and, and if it's something, it's something that, you know, just gets easier the more you do it as well. Totally, totally. There were, there were places and things I couldn't reach that now I can, and I know it's because of the daily practice. I was like, wow, maybe one day I'll be able to do the splits. Oh, <laughs> uh, my kid, she, uh, she's such a dancer. She's like, come on, do the splits with me. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm, for, I'm 41. No, that's not, that's not going to happen. Uh, what do you find uh, in this work? I mean, you, you talked about the, the rewards of just kind of doing your part. What about when you work with, with, with younger kids, younger guys? What's rewarding for you about that? Oh, man, that, that's the most rewarding piece. I wish we did more of it. You know, I think that I'm always amazed at the wisdom that comes from young people. Uh, and, and sometimes the media will stigmatize, you know, the youth but I just have to say that when I've been in the room with them, I figure that if the adults will kind of just sit down and listen, we have so much to learn from them. Uh, and, and particularly around this, this notion of, of mental health and mental well-being. And, and just to kind of display to you how this all comes together and is motivated. You know, there, there recently was an activist who committed suicide. Uh, he was 23 years old. It, it touched me sincerely because this was someone who was engaged in advocacy, who was working on behalf of their community. And, and, he, and he tweeted that, you know, today the demons just got the best of me. And so when I think about the youth I, I, and when I look at his situation, I was asking myself, did he feel supported? Did he have a network around him in his work? Uh, and every time we lose a youth to suicide, it, it is in part due to maybe adults not listening as much as we should uh, and paying attention. And so I, I just think that we can never overemphasize how important it is to listen to young people, but even more importantly, to give them a seat at the table when we're doing this work. Um, we, we can't just engage them in a way that's trivial. They have to be in a decision-making position, and it has to be authentic. 
That's an extraordinarily good way to, uh, to, to finish this up. Mate, when we, when we finish these interviews, we always ask the same three questions. They're okay. pretty easy. They're pretty easy. Okay. Uh, when it comes to Movember, what kind of stash goes on your face? Oh, man. So I have the most elementary stash that barely grows. You know, I'll be at the end of the month and still just have fuzz. Uh, but I, but I wear it proudly. <laughs> I love it. If you could pick up your phone and call eighteen year old you, what would you tell him? Oh wow, that's a great one. Um, I would tell. Uh, it was funny. I was talking about this earlier this evening. Um, I would tell my younger self before you think about you what you want to be when you grow up. Before you set goals, do the self work. Make sure you're comfortable in your skin with who you are. And then everything else will fall in place. Before I ask the final question, why do you think it's so important for people to do that self-work? For me, when you choose to do work that, that's in the category of adding value or social consciousness, you have to check yourself before you get in the work of affecting entire communities. And, and, and the self-checks is, is what empowers you. And so that, that's the, the point of, of frame of I was coming from with that. Love it. All right, final question. What do you appreciate most in your friends? Oh, man, uh, laughter. Laughter. When I'm with my friends, we laugh. Usually I'm getting laughed at, but um, it's, it's, it's those moments where, you know, you can see someone you haven't seen in five, ten years, and you immediately smile, and moments later you're laughing. And to me, it's, it's, it's one of the best things about being around my loved ones. Mate, it's been absolutely smashing to speak to you this afternoon. Thank you so very much for your time. No, the pleasure was mine. That was Neobli Armar. You can find out more about him at Movember.com and, uh, of course, find former episodes of this show at MovemberRadio.com. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook during the week if you need anything at all. This episode of Movember Radio was produced by myself, Osher Ginsberg, with Lavanya Nagendran. Audio production by Daryl Misson. Music, of course, by the fabulously nimble fingers of Toehider. Have a fantastic week. Look after yourself. Talk to you next time. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 